Hello and welcome to the Oh My God podcast season two with myself, Zelda Volkov Lebowitz, and my co-host, Hannah Rachel Cohen Portnoy. In season one, the podcast aimed to talk about success in the face of failure, modern Judaism, and real life. Season two will deliver that same message, but even more potently. Myself and Hannah Rachel have individually and collectively been challenged by the Jewish system we grew up in. Through our evolution, through our questions, our failures, mistakes, and heartbreaks, we have begun to untangle much of what was keeping us in survival mode so that we could truly be set free to thrive. This is what we'll dissect each week with you. The journey, the Jewish journey, real, raw, and vulnerable, because that is the only thing that can truly change lives and maybe even save them. You're just one episode away from being more honest with yourself. Come on and listen. We know that today's episode is one that will be polarizing, potentially hard to listen to, and will challenge you in some way, no matter your stance on the subject. We hope you'll listen with an open mind and an open heart. Adina Berkowitz is here today to talk to us about abortion, about what the Torah has to say about it, and about the woman's right to choose. Adina is a scholar in residence at Kol Hanashama, New York City, and senior educator at the Manhattan Jewish Experience. Her work includes reaching out to affiliated and not yet affiliated Jews and re-energizing their spiritual lives. With a background in law, Jewish studies, and psychotherapy, Adina is a practicing therapist in New York and the author of the best-selling The Jewish Journey Haggadah and co-author of Shari Simcha, Gates of Joy, a mini prayer book. It is the first liturgical work in the modern era written by an Orthodox Jewish woman for the use in the Jewish community. She lives in New York with her husband, Rabbi Zev Brenner, and children. Welcome, Adina. Thank you so much for, for joining us on the Oh My God podcast. It's a real privilege. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be included an incredible roster that you have. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm Zelda. This is Kana Rachel. I'm really excited to hear what you have to share. This, this is one of the sessions that I come in blindly. So I'm really curious. <laughs> I'm going to be a listener as well. Uh, yeah, that's beautiful. I know, Adila, we spoke uh, briefly last week, I think it was, and I was really amazed with, first of all, the topic that we're, that we're going to discuss, which is abortion, a very hot topic right now. Um, but it was so, it was so uh, inspiring for me just to hear how much you know on the topic and from a Jewish perspective, from a Torah perspective. And I think that as women, you know, this is a, a female driven uh, podcast. Um, it's an essential conversation to have, even though it could be uncomfortable or it could be awkward or just scary to say the wrong thing or not say, you know, and not have all the right words. But I just want to put that out there that this is a conversation that is charged with a lot of emotion and fear and triggers, but we are here to unravel that, to hear what you have to say, to enlighten us. And so thank you so much for being here. Well, it's great. It's great to be here. Yeah. I think, you know, um, when we see what the discussion is, it's not really a discussion in the public domain. It, re it just is 
gone into mostly a screaming match and there's huge emotions. And it's very difficult, I think, for our community because the, you know, when we talk about what is the, the Jewish approach, what is the halachic approach to an issue such as this, we see um, that it's very nuanced. And we live in a culture in which we see very little nuance. So for something like this, it's either you're pro-choice, you're pro-life, and that's it. And now with the recent um, overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's become much more comfortable for those within the firm community because uh, the idea that a, a Orthodox woman, now this, this obviously applies to all women, but but specifically, I would say within the uh, the con confines of halachic approach, the fact that we're facing a situations for women who live in certain states where abortion has now they've had trigger laws go into effect, and therefore her life could be at risk, and her mental health could be at risk, and halacha would say you must you know, her life comes first, yet legally, the whole landscape has changed. So you, so you have that as, a, as an incredible challenge that we have not had in, you know, close to 50 years. Now, there will be those who will say that, you know, well, there, there are ways around it, et cetera. But the, the I think the, the issue and perhaps the purpose of what we're discussing today is what really, what is, how did the rabbi see this particular issue? Because it doesn't, there might be, uh, as I always say, the end result perhaps could be the same as what we might find in a secular law, but the approach is very different. And therefore, you know, uh, I'll kind of give, I'll give the soundbite away right from the beginning, because when people ask me, is, is Orthodox Judaism, is it pro-life, is it pro-choice? I always like to say it's pro-woman because it's her, her life, her health, and her well-being that always comes first. Now, at the same time, and that this is then another key factor which creates that nuance, we see within the rabbinic tradition, we see within the halachic tradition, an understanding of we're not talking just about a, a, uh, something that is so disposable. We're talking about developing life. We're talking about potential life. And therefore, everybody sort of proceeds with trepidation about this because the rabbis themselves seem to have been understood the idea of, they certainly did, of potential life and of developing personhood. So that even if a fetus in utero halachically is not deemed right from the get-go a person. We see the sources that say in the first 40 days, a fetus is considered Maya Ba'alma, like near fluid, near water. It identifies a fetus as Uber Yerachimo. You know, we can get into some of the, the, the halachic sources, but yet we see other sources that talk about saving, saving a fetus, even if it means on Shabbat, what we might normally consider you know, being quote unquote Mahalal Shabbos, they say, well, we want to, even though it's not a life, we want to ensure that it has future life so that it can observe many more Shabbosim. So that 
so that 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 already then is a nuance because what we begin to develop, what we see is kind of a, on the one hand, sort of an idea of like, well, the fetus, according to Rashi, based on a reference to famous Mishnah and the Gemara is not a person. And then along comes Rambam, Maimonides, who seems to give the necessity for a reason to stop, um, you know, to terminate a pregnancy in which he says that a fetus is, is um, he views it as akin, kuro dave. It, it's complicated where, where not everybody has obviously these sources in front of them, but what in trying to kind of figure out what exactly is somewhat the personhood of a fetus, right? Rashi, Rashi and Rashi is, is referencing, we're not, we're not also talking, it's just very important. This is, we're talking about risks. This is extreme risks to the life of the health and, and well-being and um, and safety of the mother. And Rashi seems to say, well, love nefesh, it's not, it's not a nefesh. Now someone asks me, well, what about things we learn that the angel comes and before, you know, the baby is taught Torah and then before it's born, right? Forgets everything. So I said, the rabbis have an interesting dichotomy between a nefesh and a neshama. So that's also something to think about. But Rashi says, love nefesh, it's not, it's not a person. And along, along comes Ramadan and says, no, the reason why the, the mother is taking the priority here is because the fetus is kirodate. And in rabbinic uh, Judaism and halacha, we know that if somebody comes to, like is coming after you, a pursuer, a rodate, you can do whatever you can to disable them. So he's, so therefore then we then begin to see, oh, there needs to be some kind of justification then, which would be the risks to the life, health, and well-being of the mother. You're allowed to defend so, yourself. Meaning to say you're allowed to defend yourself. If co correct. You. Now, now the rabbis and over centuries, you know, we've they've gotten into discussions. Well, who says that means still that a fetus is a person? What does it mean to be a road day for pursuer? Who says? Maybe the mother is pursuing the fetus. That's one. That's you know. That's a that's an interesting way to look at it. But nonetheless, there's there is a it it is it is not been on the face of it as we see what was prevalent just in terms of pro pro choice pro life because we see how complicated it is. And what adds to the complication is that a technical matter, halakhically, we don't own our bodies, so. So that when we say my body, my choice, my body, Jewishly, from a from a uh, halachic perspective, is seen a little bit of a different way because our bodies are viewed as where the caretakers on loan from Hashem, and therefore we have to take care of it. As I always say, we never get to the point of being condo, co-op, or house owners. We're always renters, and therefore, when at the end of time, that security has to be returned and. They they inspect to make sure it's okay. Now that has that has implications for for other things because it has to do with then uh, you know what happens if you want to donate organs etc. But I'm not going to I'm not going to get that into here. But that means that we have to treat our bodies with a certain reverence. So as an example, that's why tattoos are not allowed. Uh, it's a permanent change. You know, henna is something different, right? 
you know, the cute little tattoos we got as kids that are, you know, they come, they come off, they, they come on, they come off. We're, we're talking about something different, but that's the idea. Our bodies have sanctity. So if we don't have ownership, then how are decisions made? And it's, it, it seems to be filtered through this idea that we uh, have an obligation to live by the mitzvot and we have an obligation for pikuach nefesh to save lives. So we have to do whatever it takes short of, of killing another person. That you can never kill someone else to save your own life. So that's, now we're back to where we started. That's, if you want, that is why the subtlety is so important because what we see in the Mishnah, even where it says it's a, in Mishnah, if a woman is in terrible difficulty, and it's like in labor, you can literally dismember the fetus. But once its head emerges, you don't, you can't then substitute one for the other. Now, I don't know if I don't think it's a practical matter. They're they're I think they're gonna save the woman. It doesn't mean they're not gonna try to save the baby. But what they're saying is once that head emerges, that's an emerging life. And that that has significance because I think that one of the the difficulties that came up in the last few years in looking at uh, the penal code and different jurisdictions um, regarding um, late-term abortion was that created, for, I, I would say, an aura of just a, perhaps we might call it um, a lack of sanctity of what happens, for example, what is if an abortion goes bad, meaning a late-term abortion, where again, here's here's the here's the conundrum. You know, in one unit of the hospital, they're trying to save a 26-week-old uh, now baby that was born early labor or you know early early term. In another case, someone found out whole things are there, and and what happens if? it ends up the baby's actually born. So when people saw that in certain jurisdictions, they were saying, just leave it there on the table, don't touch it. Then that's, that's the other side. Then it seems to say, what are we now? Now we're endorsing infanticide, you know, shavial pasta or no, you know. So that, that, you know, that occurs so rarely. You know, I don't even I don't even know how often that occurs, but you see, it entered sort of the public discourse because of things that were said in connection with that that seemed to then lead to this cal, you know, a, a idea of callousness, so that it it spurred certain people to say, "Aha, that's why we have to repeal all these things. That's why we have to overturn Roe v. Wade because it's a further evidence of killing babies." So I, I'm not. I'm just merely laying out for you, I think a little bit of some of what the, is floating in the air beyond just as a technical matter, whether halakhically or legally. Wow, so there's so many details here, right? There's so much information. Um, from what, what, I, what I'm kind of gathering is that, first of all, it's so nuanced and the, the rabbis um, really are interested in women, you know, like, preserving life, preserving um, the, the, the woman's life, as well as obviously the baby. But early on, is there, are there halachic, um, do there, are there halachic, um, I, I don't know if it's even called a leniency, but I'm saying, are there halachic, the word for it, like, um, yeah, like 
um, like permission permission earlier on is it easier to get it first of all do you need a head for something like this well again that's what i mean what we see in the sources it says the first 40 days now women don't necessarily know they're pregnant in the first 40 days but you know the that i would say that what we see is that based on the approach of Rambam. The question is, what is the reason for this? If a woman is facing uh, some type of, you know, medical issue, um, a very, now the, the, the thing that's fascinating is that we have not seen in any of the sources anything connected to a severe emotional issue that a woman is facing, a mental health reason. We only get to that with Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And Rabbi Emden, which uh, I think it was in the seventh, I think it's the seventh, 17th century, um, he was, he, a woman came to him who had had an affair. She was married, or, you know, she was a married woman, had children with her husband, but had an affair and found herself to be pregnant. And she came to Rabbi Emden and said, How am I going to, you know, I'm sort of paraphrasing, but just just take a step back for all of us and think what that meant. I mean, even today. So he said, because of Tsar Gadol, because of great need. And what was the great need here? The great need here was the risk to her mental health. So that's a fairly high bar. Um, and the question then becomes, you know, what happens if someone's having financial issues or is not in a good place with their husband? And is considering divorce, and do they want to have another child? So that gets that gets stickier. But the other thing to also remember is is that all of these things are a case by case basis. There isn't like a broad, uh, you know, a broad, you know, there are broad principles, but the decisions is very, you know, specific. And and just to kind of go back, you know, one of the fascinating things in the Torah, we only have one source that talks about a woman who gets injured between her husband who's fighting with another man. And it speaks about the fact that if she is injured and dies, then the inflictor would be responsible. It would be a capital crime. But if she's, and she's pregnant, if she miscarries, he only owes damages, financial damages. Mm -hmm. But it's, so the Torah doesn't tell us at what stage is this. But again, as we see from the rabbis, like as time moves on, you know, is it a question of developing personhood that, that the rabbis are balancing the developing personhood of the fetus? Because Judaism, and that's clear cut, doesn't say life begins at conception. That, that's, that's not something that we find. It, again, we can find different sources about neshamas coming in, but we don't, it's not a question of life beginning at conception. However, there's a reverence that the rabbis place on this developing personhood that, that is balanced out with the woman's health, well-being, and now in more recent times, her mental health. So if you look at decisions, for example, going back to the 1960s, Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg of blessed memory, he poskined like women who were carrying Tay-Sachs babies. It's horrible, horrible. I, uh, my parents had family friend, woman had a Tay-Sachs child. It, it's just a terrible death for that child and the, and the emotional trauma for, the, for both the mother and the father are awful. And as a general matter, it's not looking even at, let's say, um, the, um, 
the quality of life of the fetus to be child. It's the inflict. What is the mental health risk? To I the have woman? a question because I feel like it gets very sticky and confusing because there's this part of us that we learn that we really integrate into our psyche, hopefully within Judaism, that says, you know, Hashem, everything is by divine providence. We really believe that Hashem makes, there's no mistakes. And I have a hard time understanding how that is in alignment with the idea that we should abort. Because obviously everything is case by case. But, and I don't want to ever be tested by the challenge of should I abort or not if the doctors are telling me my life is at risk. Obviously, it's an immense challenge and it's an immense um, pressure to deal with, you know? However, I feel like if I was in that situation, I would be battling with the idea of where is Hashem in all of this? What does Hashem want me to do? Not just am I permitted, you know, will I not be punished? Not from that perspective, like, will, am I doing a bad thing? But what is, what is the right thing to do? Like, what am I supposed to believe in Hashem, that Hashem wants me to have this child and pray and just hope for the best and really give my all to this child and, you know, assume all responsibility for whatever the outcome is. I think that that is the right approach. I understand that not everyone is in the position or in the mental, emotional state to do that. Um, but I do feel like that at least should be our aspiration. We also have the assumption of, we also have the concept of the rabbi. I don't think they hear. The whole concept of having a rabbi and having a rabbi, oh, which for was sure. created by Sanhedrin, you know, we, we turned right. to Moshe Rabbeinu, we turned to Hashem, but then the Sanhedrin was created. Like we are supposed to turn to right. the rabbis, the rabbis to ask. Right. And and a hundred, a hundred percent. That's why. That's why I said it's every case is different. Right. And that right. one needs a really, a, a really, it, this is one of those situations where you need someone who uh, is a posek, who understands the issues, who understands the science. That's also, that's also very important because everybody's also psychic health. You know, medicine didn't know about um, about postpartum depression. It was, it was just poo-pooed. Oh, everybody, you know, you'll bounce back. And we all know from personal experience, um, of knowing people, it, it could even be among some of us, it's just, that's not, that is not the case. And therefore that, that is where we see then, that was something it, it, that, that also becomes uh, a factor uh, of, so what as in a larger sense meaning you have to be really in tune with what the psychic damage could also be to a woman right. like at, you know we're talking about after the after effects right. and i agree with you that you know you're raising a theological question that applies in so many areas in other right. words why do you know why do um, bad things happen to good people. Is this what Hashem wants? I mean, we could see it in so many different areas. And, and the only thing that I could say about it is that one thing we know that Hashem has given to us 
is that God has given us the world, but we've been given the mandate to improve upon it. So therefore we don't accept that if a woman has uh, fertility issues, we don't say, well, that's what God decreed. We say, no, Hashem has given us the tools uh, if we have to, to improve upon the world. Like when we talk about tikkun olam, it's very different. It's not just about social justice. It's about what can we do to improve upon situations because we're not God. Remember, we're not, we're not creating out of something out of nothing. We're trying to do the repair work. Um, and therefore, that, that, that is the question of the, what is the repair work that's involved here as a general matter. And we have to have our bitachon and we have to try to retain our faith and get through, for many of us, some very terrible situations. Right. But it Actually, doesn't mean, you know, just at the cost of our life, or our health. Right. No, that's or our potential one, mental health. One of my biggest challenges in life in general is falling into this idea of like, but I know that I could do better. I know that I could be, you know, more soulful and less material. And like, why don't I just do it? And then I go way to the other edge and I'm not grounded in my body either. And it's like this constant challenge of like wanting to do more, you know, the things that I grew up with, like with Tanya and you know this concept of hiscafia of like not just indulging in all of the pleasures and having more of a cleansing so this really took an impression on my psyche and it's I know a very beautiful and very aspirational approach but my work is really to be able to first of all go to leaders go to rabbis go to people that have their feet on the ground very rooted as well as having their head in, in Torah, you know, in a, in a much deeper sense than I, and not always relying on myself to have all the answers. And when I go to the rabbi, I could totally surrender to the idea that what they tell me is my path. I think that's right for me. Yeah, and that the postgame are there in support of us. Because I think that as a woman, um, it's easy to feel afraid that we're going to either you know, be shut down or not misunderstood or not recognized right. um, for whatever it is that we're experiencing. And, but really my, you know, experience with speaking to a love and, you know, for each individual, it could be somebody else, you know, a, a different type of love that, you know, works for us. Right. But remember that the Rabbanim are here to help us and, and that they're in support of us. That's very true. And realizing that if they're not, then it's it's perhaps time to find, you know, a rub that's more more um, in service of, of your needs. Right, now you have to be careful, like what they what they call like, in, like forum shopping, like, you know, where you don't like this answer, you go, that's why you have to pick, but that's why I always say that, you know, you pick the person to go to who really is well-versed in, in many of the aspects. It's not just a pure legal thing, you know, it's that they're really getting in deep to understand what, what are the consequences in so, in so many ways. And I think that then already just shows a difference in terms of what's going on in, you know, for many people, just in terms of the general culture, because that's not, that's, there's no expectation of that. Now, I think I, I don't mean to demean anybody they could be going to their minister, they could be going to their priest. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm just talking about in terms of how the law is, is structured, that it doesn't have that 
that issue built in. Now, secondly, they try, they try to have waiting periods to say, think about it for 24 hours, you know, or maybe you need the permission of your husband or, or uh, et cetera. But I think our approach is you need that rabbinic confidant. You need that person who is really well-versed in this to really provide the help you with guidance so that also that you know, you don't have that terrible harata afterwards right because that that i think is a, is a key point here yeah absolutely yeah you brought that up before about uh, the postpartum even somebody that goes to an abortion could go through also a postpartum depression um or regret or and so what you're so speaking to a rav um and making sure that a person comes to this decision from a place of real, true clarity, and yeah, it gives you that ease. Yeah, for sure. It gives you that peace of mind. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that people are not going to, you know, women aren't going to feel something regardless. We know that. But it's the rabbis and just what our tradition wants to avoid is beating up on ourselves. Like these are very, very dire, significant circumstances and it's not something that's taken lightly that's the thing it's not just not taken lightly by the rabbis it's not taken lightly by the women so that's that's also something i think that needs to be emphasized it's not but i didn't hear you said it's not taken lightly not just by the rabbis by who by women oh by women in other words a woman who's who's facing this this is a very very you know serious situation yeah 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 wow Thank you so much, Adina, for sharing this and for coming on here. I know a lot of women are going to really appreciate um, this conversation. Thank you. It's it's really it's really important because I say it's a nuance. Yeah. It's a nuanced approach, and women should feel secure to find their rub, to find their posate, to find their you know their rebbitzin, to to have a sounding board. Um, to have support and also their community has to be their support. And I'll just add one more thing, which I think is very troubling on a, just a societal level and is something that we have to think about within our community is that so many people, when you read about why women decided to have abortions, they said, I can't afford another child. I don't have, um, I don't have childcare. I mean, it's, it's a feel, you know, there are many wonderful things about our country but this is a real gap. And that's something even within our own community, Baruch Hashem, there's so many, uh, so many ways of supporting so many people at risk in the community and it's expanded and much more understanding. But I think that's something that we have to also think about of being there, not just for women emotionally and psychically, but for families financially. There are organizations in Israel that do that. It's, wow. They find out that you're it's for economic reasons. They say we're here to help you, and that's really something that we, as a community, um, have to, I think, begin to think more about um, uh, and figure out a way to help families uh, that are really at risk um, because wow. children are a blessing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Love that. We're very blessed to be in the community that we are in, yeah. and. I love that you share, you know, children are blessed. This is not pro or against. This is really in support of making the right healthy choice for each individual and to make sure that, you know, we understand that it is a case by case situation and not to be afraid to ask a Rav 
and and once there is a situation and a question of whether or not to abort to know that there are different types of options like depending on what the situation is if it's a financial issue it's a psychic issue um, and to know that there are people and rabbis and communities and organizations there should be more but there are um, to, to help every to help to help people yes because that's that's chesed is you know uh, exactly this is the chesed right here it's not it's it's right here in, in the now it's as they say what's going on right now so uh, that's a good that's something good for you know in terms of aspirational as you mentioned what we can yeah. aspire to really figure out figure out that piece Wow, so thank you so much for including thank, me. Thank you. This is so thank informative. So I really appreciate you. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Oh My God podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss any of our upcoming interviews. If this spoke to you, please share the episode with someone you believe would love it just as much as you did and rate the podcast five stars so we can continue to make content like this for you. If you have a question, suggestion, or interview request, shoot us an email to omgpod at gmail.com. That's omgpod spelled O-H-E-M-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. Until then, shalom. shalom.